0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, May 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Boeing is set to restart the production of the grounded 737 MAX aircraft. And Brussels faces considerable hurdles in its request for €750 billion to bankroll recovery efforts after the pandemic. But first, the U.S. said yesterday that it no longer considers Hong Kong autonomous from China. The FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel, explains what this could mean for the city's status as a global financial hub. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. China's legislature could rubber stamp a national security measure on Hong Kong today. It comes after about a year of pro-democracy protests in the city. So what would this new legislation do?
1: There's not a whole lot of meat on the bones just yet, but what happens is they categorize new crimes, essentially, like subversion and terrorism, these things that are sort of catch all crimes that could be used by Chinese authority to go after these protesters.
0: That's the FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel. Yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that with this legislation, the U.S. no longer considers Hong Kong autonomous from China. This marks the possible first step towards removing special trade and economic agreements that have helped Hong Kong sustain its place as a financial hub. Peter has
1: more. I think you have to acknowledge this is a threat to Hong Kong as a global financial center, right? It has long been, you know, dating back to British rule, the most important or next to Tokyo, at least the second most important financial center in Asia and in in increasing in importance as a gateway to investment in China. Now, if suddenly you have a financial institution, a foreign financial institution, be it you know London base or, or New York base, and you suddenly cannot travel there with with any ease, and also you start worrying about capital controls or ease of trade, all these things that you need basically free market principles. If suddenly the Chinese have decided that things like the rule of law and uh, other things that Hong Kong has used to separate itself from the rest of China as an investment site. That is a threat. And we've already seen various companies and financial institutions you know, make bets elsewhere in Asia. Singapore has really benefited from this, for instance. You know, There's a lot of fear, particularly the financial community in Hong Kong, that this is, I don't want to say the beginning of the end, but the beginning of a real diminishment of Hong Kong as a financial center in Asia.
0: And this move from the US comes on the back of an already- tense recent back and forth between Washington and Beijing. How does this recent development fit into the broader relationship between the two countries?
1: This has been going on, frankly, since the start of the Trump administration, right? You know, this is a president who campaigned saying that every single president that came before him has sort of kowtowed to the Chinese, and he's not going to do that. So the tariff regime came in, obviously a huge amount of pressure on Huawei, this telecom uh, equipment manufacturer that makes a lot of the 5G equipment that has been used by Western telecom companies. Um, we've seen actually a result of that uh, just on, on Wednesday, where we had the the CFO of Huawei, who's actually also the daughter of the founder, if you remember, was arrested last year, uh, detained in Canada in Vancouver by Canadian officials. Right, Meng Wanzhou. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, so Meng Wanzhou was, was was detained as she was transiting the, the Vancouver airport. Just on Wednesday, she lost a bid to sort of have her case dismissed. The judge says that the U.S. is right to go ahead and seek extradition, so she's not going to be extradited just yet. But you know, again, another symbol of the the ratcheting up of pressure, the tension of tensions between U.S. and China, and so this move on Hong Kong sort of the last straw here.
0: Right, and to that point, um, how far might the U.S. go to punish China for this legislation?
1: You know, always difficult to predict with the Trump administration because they always make decisions at the last minute and then change them. The the direction of travel seems to be covering Hong Kong with a lot of the same trade restrictions and tariffs that have been imposed on the rest of China. That seems to be the direction they're they're traveling in. Get rid of those special trade arrangements that currently exist and force Hong Kong to live with the current trade restrictions on China. Will they go further, particularly on visa issues? Which I think it's the most sensitive issue, You know, preventing sort of the free ish movement of, of foreigners in and out of Hong Kong and allowing Hong Kongers to, to travel to the US. Uh, uh, that's probably going to be too far because there's a lot of business interests, particularly the US Chamber of Commerce, a lot of the big companies that do business in Asia have asked the Trump administration not to go that far. And I think there's a lot of people who, who are concerned that the risk here is you don't actually really punish China on this.
0: And Peter, remind us why the U.S. would be targeting Hong Kong and not Beijing directly for this move.
1: What many foreign policy experts we have talked to have said is that you're cutting off your nose despite your face here. You do not want to punish Hong Kong for the bad actions of Beijing. The problem is, frankly, you know, in terms of tariffs and other things you can use to hit Beijing, um, running out of room here. I mean, they've tariffed almost everything that the Beijing now produces. You also have a president who wants to be seen as a consummate maker, who's hoping to get a Chinese trade deal going into the election. So a little bit less inclined to yet again, go after uh, trade issues with Beijing. But there are other sort of sanctions you can put on the regime. They've chosen not to do this. You know, Mike Pompeo himself is one of the group of China hardliners within the administration and the most vocal and I think he's won the, won the battle here to really go after Hong Kong as a, as a cost of what the Chinese new policy is.
0: It's been more than a year since Boeing grounded its 737 MAX jet. Issues with the plane software led to two separate crashes that killed nearly 350 people. The company paused production in January after it built up a stockpile of planes that it couldn't deliver. But yesterday, Boeing said it will resume the production of the MAX, even though regulators have not yet approved Boeing's proposed changes to the plane's software, or the company's plans on how it will train its pilots from now on. Boeing says the production will start at what it's calling a low rate. It's aiming to manufacture 31 MAX jets per month by 2021. This pace will ramp up depending on how quickly customers take deliveries. But Boeing will be going ahead with these plans with a considerably lighter workforce. The aircraft maker also announced yesterday it will be cutting more than 12,000 workers in the U.S. The business is struggling in the face of the pandemic. Fewer people traveling means airlines need fewer planes. These cuts are part of Chief Executive David Calhoun's plans for Boeing to cut 10% of its 160,000-person global workforce. Next Generation EU. That's the name of the 750 billion euro proposal to help countries recover from the effects of the economic downturn brought by coronavirus. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen pitched the plan yesterday. We either all go it alone, leaving countries, regions, and people behind, and accepting a union of haves and have have nots or we walk that road together. We take that leap forward. We pave a strong path for our people and for the next generation." Brussels would borrow for the fund from the capital markets and then distribute the aid in two forms, 250 billion euros in loans, but the majority, 500 billion euros, would come in the form of grants, something that northern countries, so-called frugal governments, the Netherlands, Sweden, Austria, Denmark, have taken issue with. A lot of these frugal governments want to know whose pocket this is coming out of, and it's an important question since Brussels has never borrowed at this scale before. The EU plans to establish a yield curve of debt issuance with 30-year bonds as the longest maturity. Repayment would start no earlier than 2028 and be completed by 2058. Another big question is how the money will be distributed between states. Well, that depends on what they apply for and how Brussels assesses their plans. It'll also come with conditions about how it's spent, part of an effort to get the money to flow through EU programs on things like boosting competitiveness and shifting away from declining industries. While the next generation plan requires unanimous approval from the bloc, Brussels has a bargaining chip. That's because the plans are tied up with the EU's next multi-annual budget, which has to be ready by the end of this year meaning plenty of negotiating opportunities with the frugal states that have a lot at stake in these budget talks, including their demand to retain national rebates. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.